Hello and welcome to today's edition of the Business Excellence Podcast. My name is Rail Bricker coming to you from Perth, Western Australia. And with me is my co-host, Lindsay Adams from Brisbane, Australia. Hello and welcome. And with us is our special guest, Ed Rigsby from Thousand Oaks in California. And Lindsay will introduce Ed in a moment. As a special gift to all our listeners, pop along to www.excellencepodcast.com. That's excellencepodcast.com and download your free 48-page ebook called Building Excellence, Ideas to Help You on Your Journey to Creating Excellence in Your Business and Your Life. So welcome, Ed Rigsby. Great to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Ed, you're known around the world as the ROI guy, and that's basically based on your work of um, showing associations on how to, get, how to give their members a return on investment for their membership. Uh, and in the speaking world, you're known as the associations guy because you do so much work with associations and you actually teach uh, others how to get work in the association uh, sector. So um, a wealth of experience. And at the minute, I've heard a whisper that you're working on a new book called Life's Blue Little Blue Playbook. That sounds really curious, mate. Let's talk about that. For Is that okay if we talk about that for a minute? Yeah, you know, Lindsay, um, just so um, we're very clear that I have my feet firmly planted on both sides of the fence, Hmm. being an association executive on one side and selling to the associations on the other side. So, you know, it's that split personality thing. And, um, you know, the Life's Little Blue Playbook is, is kind of something that came out of I, for for a lot of years, I've been delivering presentations, you know, keynotes, workshops, and the like. And I started looking at what are the universal truths. And then I started thinking about, you know, I, I've always wanted to leave something for the kids. For I've got two adult sons, and I have a grandchild. And so I thought that, you know, maybe taking these universal truths that can be used in business and life and amassing them in a little blue playbook might be the perfect thing to, um, you know, help the generations behind uh, gain some of my knowledge and maybe have a a couple less uh, bloody noses and a couple less scuffed knees. That's of course, (laughs) that's of course, if they listen. It's um, that's an interesting concept, Ed. Uh, there's a, a large bank in Australia called uh, the Commonwealth Bank, and they went through and did. They cleaned out their organisation, gave a lot of long-standing employees redundancies, and reshaped the organisation. Then you know what they realised? They got rid of their knowledge, yeah, uh, from the organisation, and then they were they were, were sort of walking around like almost with a blindfold on because there was no one there to tell them how it had been done before. So I'm real curious. So, so okay, again, give us what's one thing that you would share, sure. Uh, sure. you know, that, that we need to know about it in terms of a generational knowledge transfer. Well, you know, the um, interesting because what you're talking about with the business in the U.S., we would refer to that, to that as institutional knowledge. And as the baby boomers are, are retiring and kicking off, 
a lot of that institutional knowledge is disappearing. And, and that's exactly what I hope to not have happen with my kids. So, you know, the first, the very first um, thing that I wrote down when I started working on this was um, uh, you got to tell them or they don't know. And the you got to tell them or they don't know. It came to me in the oh, <clears throat> mid-1970s when I was selling sunglasses to drugstores up and down the California coast. And I was in Paso Robles, California at Park Pharmacy. And, um, you know, I had a display there and I'd go in every month and, you know, fill up with new sunglasses, pick up the broken. It was just kind of an ongoing thing. One day I, I cruised in and uh, I noticed that there's a bunch of sunglasses from another company on my display. And I, I went to the owner, his name is Bob. I said, hey, Bob, I noticed that you, and I knew who the other company was, Wayne Bell. And I said, hey, I noticed you bought a bunch of sunglasses from Wayne Bell. From Wayne Bell. And he goes, yeah, I did. I got could you tell me why? He goes, sure. Wayne came in and said, these are the hottest new things. And I said, oh, he says, are they hot? I go, yeah. He goes, that's why I bought them. I said, well, Bob, you've had those on your display for me for three months now. <laughs> and he just kind of had this chagrin look on his face. And he says, oh, but you know, Lindsay, at, at, at that time, it really hit me. It wasn't Bob's problem. It wasn't Bob's fault. It was my problem. It was my fault. Because while I was doing the right stuff for him, you know, uh, keeping him in very fashionable sunglasses and taking care of him, if I didn't tell him, you know, at least most of the stuff I was doing for him, how would he know? And, you know, you know, my wife, Regina, you know, she works for Trader Joe's. And years ago, uh, when uh, not long after she moved from the Westlake store to the Thousand Oaks store, when the Thousand Oaks store opened, and oh, maybe six months, a year later, whatever it was, uh, the, the person that runs the demo department got promoted and, and left the store, and she really wanted that department. And she was talking to me, and she was saying, well, you know, um, uh, Don, the manager at the time, should just give it to me. And I said, Regina, he's not going to give it to you. I said, you think he should know. But how is he going to know? He's got 80 employees. Look, at if you want something, you got to go tell him what you want and be, you know, and let's face it, getting into your specialty, Lindsay, on the, the personalities, um, most of the managers are director personalities, fast pacing. I said, so, so don't beat around the bush. Get right to the point. She came home the next day. And she goes, I got the spot. I'm in charge of demo now. So it, it's just, and I, and I, and that was like, one of the things that Jonathan, my son, when he when he started reading through the Universal Truths, he goes, "Yes, absolutely." How, you know, how do you get it if you don't ask for it? So I, I think a lot of us in life, I, I don't know about on your continent, but I do know on our continent, we've uh, been kind of taught to be modest, not to be a braggart, don't always you know stand up and say all the good things you've done. And so that kind of gets us to where we kind of stand back and we 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 want others to vote for us. And I, I think a lot of us in the U.S. and my guess is maybe Australia from all of your friends that I've met over the years is that um, this is a universal global truth that you know you got to let them know what you're doing for them, and if you want it, you got to ask for it. Well, you know, there's that whole you know in, in traditional marketing literature. They talk about, 
you know, build a better mousetrap and everyone will come and buy it. Well, no, they won't because you've got to tell them about it in the first place. Yes. You know, you, yeah. Um, I mean, it is a fine line. And, and there's two things in there that you said. The one is tell them what you're doing for them. But the other one is actually interesting. If you don't ask for it, you're not going to get it. And that, that it's going to be a slight segue from the, the, the um, generational knowledge transfer. But the reality of it is, for me, when I first met you, you were asking for money. <laughs> um, uh, you know, 21 years now, I believe you've been running a not-for-profit and a charity. It's raised over $700,000. Yes. But, but you know, what I found when I met you and, and we, we spent a bit of time having a few drinks together at the bar, you, you as a group, uh, you know, you had created a culture in that charity of asking, of asking for money because that was your mission. And so sure. that's what we forget sometimes is to ask for things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, absolutely. You know, and, you know, a friend of mine, Lee Andre Davis, he was kind of this, I used to call him a diamond in a garbage can because he was a wonderful person, but he put all this gruff exterior. He was in construction. And Lee used to always say, Ed, what are the three great words that will change your life? And I would say, ask for it. And then I'd add Lee just to aggravate him, uh, give him a fourth word. But I mean, it, it was, it was, he would, this guy would just pound this into me, pound this into me, pound this into me, pound this into me, pound this into me. The three great words that will change your life, ask for it. Okay. But then, and then going back to the other thing of tell people what you're doing for them. Yes. Or tell people what they don't know. How, how in the corporate space, you know, in the business world, most people in my experience don't want to be told what they don't know. They, they need to, they almost need to tell you what they don't know so that you can tell them what the knowledge is in the first place, because, you know, egos get in the way. How do you get around ego? Ego is a, uh, is a wonderful thing. Uh, it's something that should be caged for everybody to, uh, to look at. Um, you know, the, the thing is, now you're getting a very specific supervision tool. And if you want to get to a place where, where, you know, somebody, somebody needs to know something and you think that they're too egotistical, you know, you, the easiest thing I've done over the years is put it as I'm trying to figure this out. So, so real, if I want you to know something, let's say I want you to know that my shirt is uh, uh, blue and yellow. And rather than saying, Raul, do you, did you notice my shirt is blue and yellow? I might say, you know, I, look at these colors. Are, are you guessing what kind of blue is this one? And, and, and maybe what kind of yellow is that one? And you go, well, hey, it's blue and yellow, you know? And and I think that there's ways that we can ease into it. The the Related to that, and kind of a close cousin to that, in my uh, second book, Developing Strategic Alliances, I talked about relationship value updates. And, and, and here's the interesting thing. It, it's... And this might you might find this also helpful. If 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 we're in say like a strategic alliance or some type of a handshake agreement or whatever, 
if I'm doing things to create value for you, but you don't perceive them as valuable, the conversation you have with yourself is, why isn't that doing anything to help me out? The conversation I'm having with myself, why don't you appreciate what I'm doing? <laughs> and I think that's no, it's a very honest conundrum. So using a relationship value update concept is like, okay, if, if we have, and even the two of you guys running a podcast, you, you can do this. Um, so every quarter, you, you know, each of you send a note to the other. And so, Lindsay, you put on the value, I believe, right, you're getting from the relationship is X. The value I believe I'm getting from the relationship is Y. Some ideas to make this relationship even better is Z. Real, you do the same exact thing, but you mail it to each other or email it to each other. Yeah, you yeah. you want to look at it in the comfort of your own office because you don't want to go, what? You know, and, and have somebody freak out, you know. And, and so, so people, you know, sometimes it takes them two or three times to understand what you're trying to say. And then you can have it creates a safe environment where you can each have a conversation about, oh, really, this isn't of any value to you? Oh, I don't know why I'm doing it. You know, and and then, you know, you might, you might say, Lindsay, yeah, but this thing over here is real valuable. And Lindsay goes, well, geez, that cost me nothing. That takes me no time. I could do a lot more of that for you. So it, it's, it's this understanding what the number one, what your partner or customer, same difference, what your partner or customer needs, making sure that you're, you're having a, an intelligent conversation if each of you are getting what you need so these perceptions don't get in the way. And then you can have a good conversation. It's in, in my developing strategic alliances in step seven, keeping alliance healthy. That's in step seven of keeping the alliance healthy. So, Ed, um, you know, what you're essentially talking about here is relationships, isn't it? Uh, yes. And, yes. And, um, so, you know, relationships, I think, are critical to, uh, you know, business life, personal life and so on. Sure. What, what's the key to making them work? You know, have you got <laughs> a generational wisdom you can share on that? I mean. Well, yeah. How, how about this one, Lindsay? So when my oldest son comes to me, you know my old son Ryan, comes to me and he talks about uh, a gal that he was very interested in. And, you know, let's face it, um, there's nobody that's perfect. And and he's we're talking about this person. And I said, Ryan, people don't change after marriage. <laughs> so who this person is today is who they're going to be tomorrow. If Ryan, if you think you're going to change her, you are deluded. So what you have to decide is, does that package work for you? Because who she is today is who she'll be tomorrow. And don't, you know, think about getting married under the guise, well, I'm going to help her to improve or I'm going to make her better. It's it, it's crazy. It's craziness. And so, you know, I'm, I, I think most people, naturally with the exception of me, aren't perfect, but um, <laughs> and yeah, Lindsay, Lindsay, Lindsay knows my wife. He'll, uh, <laughs> he can attest to all of my foibles. But the, the, I, I think that it's just, you know, we've got to look at this way. And then Jonathan, my youngest son, same exact thing. He came to me to talk about, you know, 
a gal that he was interested in proposing to. And the same thing. It's like who they are today is who they'll be after you're married. People don't change after marriage. And I think that's the number one thing in relationships. The number one, let's call it Achilles heel, roadblock, landmine, whatever that, you know, that we we want to get into a business relationship with somebody. Um, and we think that they're going to get better. We want to get into a romantic relationship with somebody. We think that they're going to get better. And they're not. So, you know, as long as you go into that relationship open-eyed and you have things like relationship value updates, well, then then the thing can work. So one of the concepts you've mentioned to me that you're putting into your little blue playbook is the relationship bank deposits. Okay, can you can you explain a little bit more about that? Yeah. Yeah, the the you know, and I'll even explain where 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 it came to me. Uh, John Gray, psychologist, wrote the book, uh, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. He was speaking at the Western Workshop of the National Speakers Association in Burbank on the mid-90s, early 90s. I can't remember exactly when. And, you know, he was kind of talking to the guys and he had these uh, big uh, bouquet of roses on the stage. And he takes this big bouquet of roses and says, guys, you need to understand, you give this bouquet to your special somebody it's one point. Then he sets the bouquet down and he pulls one rose out. And he says, you give your special somebody one rose. It's one point. He pulled another rose, a second rose, two points, a third rose, a different name, three points. So in, in the idea of, you know, especially if we look at the male, female, we guys tend to think, at least here in the United States, on February 14th, we go shopping about 4.30 in the afternoon. We buy some flowers, take them home to our wife. We're a hero. St. Valentine's Day is done. We're good for the year. But it's, it's, it's about the continual relationship bank deposits. So you can't go to the bank. Let's just say you walk into some bank, Raul, that you've never been to in Perth. Never been there. You walk in and you say, I need $10,000. They're going to probably laugh at you, right? Now, if you had, uh, if you go in there and say, you know, I'd like to uh, open up some kind of an account so I can get a, uh, get a letter of credit and have a relationship, maybe down the road, you could come in and get that $10,000, but not that day. So I, I think with relationship bank deposits to, and this and networking, think about networking. You know, you go to these networking events and somebody goes in, hi, what do you do? I, uh, oh, hey, let me tell you about what I do. Uh, can you help me find customers for this? It's like, wait, whoa, hold, hold the boat. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, buy me a cup of coffee before you take me to bed. Um, and 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 they're trying to take the relationship bank withdrawals before they've made any deposits. And you just remember in life, every time you have an aw shoot, which you might call it something else, it takes 10 attaboys to wipe out that aw shoot. So, so in the in the world of relationship bank deposits, one bad thing is going to take good things to wipe that out. So, you know, think about getting back to the relationship value updates. The relationship value updates help you to better understand what kind of relationship bank deposits to make. So, Ed, I want to circle back to the comment that Raul made earlier. He he mentioned sure. 
in passing that you you created a not-for-profit charity which you've been the the, the chair of for 20 years yes um, and, and well done mate and, and I know you've raised a lot of money for some really good causes uh, how important is service in in life and in business you know a lot, a lot of people don't get uh, that that you should give or 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 work for others, or volunteer your time. So just how important is that? Yeah, you know, Lindsay, I think it's, I mean, it, it, I can only speak for myself. I think it's quite important. I, I look at, uh, and I can count my blessings that I've received from putting the time in to create the Cigar Pig Philanthropy Through Fund Charity, um, all the wonderful people around the world that I've got to meet, both of you included, and, um, you know, it, 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 every year at the end of the year, you know, when, when I get to write the checks to the various charities we put our money into, now it just gives me a really good feeling. But, but I think more importantly, it, it, it gives me a, a little bit of a moral compass that, you know, that, that there's more to life than just going out and making yet one more buck, yet one more buck, yet one more, one more buck. And you're going to probably giggle and laugh at me, but during the, the Christmas holidays, I watch many versions of the Christmas Carol, <laughs> you know, <laughs> between Patrick Stewart and George C. Scott and, fin- and Finney and some of these other people. You know, it, it just, you know, and there's that scene when they talked about, you know, mankind is your business. I think Marley said to him, mankind is your business. And Sure, you know, we, we, we have to earn a living. If we don't earn a living, we can't serve others. So people that, that, that use, well, I, I'm, I'm doing charity work as an excuse not to earn a living. Well, that's a cop-out. But if you earn a decent living and, and you have yourself where you can, you can donate a little bit of your time, effort, energy, I guess your time and some of your treasure to charitable causes and not hurt your family in doing it, then you know it, it's you're you're doing a good thing, and I I just I, I think that when you know my numbers punched and I'm laying there in my deathbed, I kind of don't think I'm going to say, "Geez, I really wished I would have given one more speech and made a couple thousand more dollars." <laughs> there's a there's a quote Ed, in in my one of my in my book that says, "One day when I." get to the end of my life, I want to have lived both the depth and the breadth. Sure, and, and, I, and I think that's a great philosophy. Um, can I, I want to circle right back to the beginning. Um, sure. For organizations and, 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 and member-driven organizations, what, what would you, I mean, I'm, I'm working with a number of organizations now, and their biggest challenge is being able to justify their ROI, and that's your main areas. What is the member's return on investment? And, and, and I mean, I call it something else because I'm a marketing guy. I call it the value proposition. But, but what is the one thing you would tell organizations in a broad sense or, or, or member-driven organizations mm-hmm. sure. in terms of their value proposition? Yeah, real. I, I take it deeper than a value proposition. And here's what it is. My book, The ROI of Membership, is the first book to, to take the concept of measuring each feature of membership based on what your members, collective members, perception is. 
So let's say a feature of membership is the association does a legislative update. Now, if the association shares that legislation update with everybody, it's not a feature of membership because everybody gets it. But if they only give it to their members, then that's very valuable. Now, how do members determine the value? Well, they do, do several ways. It could be how much time it saves them to, uh, they could go collect all the data, uh, uh, summarize the data and make sense of it, but the association does it for them. So let's just say it's say, I'm just pulling a number out. Let's say it saves them 20 hours a year. Well, you know, even a, a clerical person with all the add-on, add-on, add-on costs is $50 a year. So, you know, you're starting to look at, well, geez, yeah, that actually that really is worth that. Because if, if I if I want that that feature membership and if I were to use it, that's about what it's worth. So rather than in the United States, we we've we've fallen so much on, well, join because you should. Um, membership is priceless. Uh, and where the truth really lies is in the old Wendy's commercial, uh, where the old lady saying, looking at the hamburger and saying, where's the beef? And, and, and so most trade associations or professional societies, either or, they've got between 20 and 30, just basically basic features of membership. Some are, um, uh, career growth, some are knowledge, uh, management, some are um, business growth, some are community, where, where they fit. But the idea to tell every, and this is what I tell every association exec, I was just on a call yesterday morning on this, is that, okay, let's look at all of the features of membership that you only give to members. They only get through their membership. All the stuff you do, like legislative work, advocacy work, that doesn't count, okay, because everybody gets that value. So let's look at all the hard things and all the soft things that only members get. Let's do qualitative research, focus group methodology to get the members to tell us what they believe on average each feature is worth. And then it's real simple. You add up all the features and let's say yearly all the features, if you use all of them, let's just say it's $10,000 and yearly membership is $300. So you divide, you divide it out and you see what you get. And, and then I get my clients to create what I call a uh, member ROI recruitment brochure, which basically has in the brochure this data as far as each feature. And then I teach them uh, to get their, their uh, more senior members to become membership recruitment evangelists. And then they, they can just sit with somebody and with the cheat sheet and go, you get this, you get this, you get this, it's worth this. And then say the person they're talking to, well, I'm not going to use that. Oh, great. Let's take a market pin, line that out. Well, I'm not going to use that, line that out. And then the, the person says, well, you know, this one up here, uh, I get double that. So let's, let's, you know, and, and you can have a conversation because in the United States, generally when baby boomers try to recruit somebody that's a millennial or an ex-gen and they say, Join because you should. And the millennial says, I can't afford it. Join because of our advocacy. I get it anywhere. Anyway, the baby boomer sitting there with a jaw on the ground. They don't know what else to say. So <laughs> we're giving them the tools to be able to influence others to see the what's in it for them and the what's in it for them in actual return on investment numbers. So for every dollar I invest, 
I can get X number of dollars back. Excellent. Ed, uh, we could go on for a lot longer, I'm sure. Uh, I know you've got a million other uh, generational knowledge transfer gems. However, we're out of time. So if our listeners wanted to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Sure. Thank you for asking. Um, the, uh, two websites. Um, my primary website is Rigsby. That's R-I-G-S-B-E-E.com. Most people want to put a Y, but it's not. R-I-G-S-B-E-E.com. Um, and that's got most of my member recruitment stuff, my strategic alliance work, all those kinds of things. I also have a website really for speakers, and it's selling to to associations, selling to associations.com. And for speakers and, and consultants and the like, uh, all the, the things that I offer that help them to sell to associations is found there. Business people or trade association executives that need resources, go to rigsby.com. At rigsby.com, there's um, uh, a number of uh, uh, complimentary workshops uh, that uh, video workshops that executive association executives can access. There's uh, probably 200 articles in my article bank on all the different things that I talk about that people can access. So there's a lot there that people can can get without spending uh, without spending any money. Thank you, Ed, for for being such a generous guest today on the Business Excellence Podcast. And thank you, Lindsay Adams, my co-host. This is Rail Bricker signing off for another edition of the Business Excellence Podcast. As a special gift to all our listeners, pop along to www.excellencepodcast.com That's excellencepodcast.com and download your free 48-page ebook called Building Excellence, Ideas to Help You on Your Journey to Creating Excellence in Your Business and Your Life.